we learn from the art of rally driving? As a rally driver, you've got a co-pilot sitting beside you, someone to navigate you through that world. They know the twists and turns that are coming up. Dean Hefter, in this conversation I'm about to have, talks about how you can use that as the basis for coaching, coaching business owners as they look to navigate the world ahead of them. So sometimes having somebody sitting in your co-pilot seat who could be called a coach could be really useful for you. As you go through this conversation, listen for the next 30 minutes about what you can learn, what can you take away from Dean's words. He's a great expert at getting a communication across, understanding the words you use, and really making sure you're using the right medium for the audience you're talking to, which we all know we should do, but sometimes we get it wrong, especially in the way this last two years has been with the pandemic. So listen out some of the words he uses. Look at the analogies he brings out. But more importantly, think about what actions you can take. How can you make your business better? How can you better engage your people? How can you bring problems to bear? And how can you ensure you're focusing on the right problem with the right context to re-energize your team? Enjoy the show. And as always, please let me know your comments. Please leave us a review so other people can find this conversation and pass this podcast on to those who you believe will benefit from it. The more people get the message to, the better the world becomes. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Here's Dean Hefter. Welcome back to the Sparked Wagoning podcast. I'm Phil Rose, your host, and today I'm delighted to be talking with Dean Hefter again. We haven't spoken now for almost 12 months, and I reached out to Dean because I valued the conversation we had last time, and I recently re-listened to the podcast that we recorded. If you remember, Dean works with leaders through coaching and training. He's a leadership and communications expert, and he helps them navigate the changes and the issues they're going through. So for me, there's a lot to be talked about here in terms of where are we at at the moment and what's changed in the last 12 months in the world of leadership and communication. So Dean, welcome back to the Sparks Wagonian podcast. Great to be back, Phil. Thank you. And I say this 12 months since we last talked. It's amazing how quickly time flies when you're having fun. Um, a lot's gone in the world, gone on in the world since then. And um, but the world of communication still rolls around. We've still got people who are needing help, needing support, and and things have changed as well in the, the back of the pandemic we were talking just now. So I wonder from your perspective, what, what's going on with the world of communication from your perspective at the moment? What are you seeing? Well, I think one of the challenges that people are seeing when it comes to communication right now is, uh, you know, globally, we still have an elevated level of anxiety with a lot of people, which yeah. is tied to uncertainty. You know, what's expected of me in my role? What can I expect in the future? Whether it's conflict or supply chain issues or my job or what opportunities are out there. One of the challenges is as, as my team or as my anxiety is higher, my ability to hear and process and understand goes down. And so I think this is one of the challenges that yeah. leaders are facing right now is even if they themselves are dealing with their own uncertainty in a healthy way and they're able to, to communicate clearly, that doesn't mean that people are hearing what they're saying, right? So when, when we think about the concept of communication, sending things out, whether it's an email or um, a phone call or a Zoom, you know, when I send messages out, that doesn't mean that there's been communication. Yeah, yeah, a very good point, isn't it? That's the, that's the synchronous versus asynchronous. At the end of the day, we think we're communicating by saying something, but actually if it's not being heard, there's no point doing it. And it could even be counterproductive. So yeah, yeah. the definitions that people have on words, the intent they understand behind what I'm saying is going to change what they actually hear. So when we think about leaders increasing their effectiveness of communication, a big part of that is what's the type of conversations I'm able to foster 
so that I can grow understanding rather than saying, how do I say this thing perfectly so that they hear it? Now we have to, we have to monitor the, the choice of words and our tone and our frequency and our medium and all of those things. And that's a challenge, but yeah. ultimately how do I create conversations that build understanding? Yeah. And it's interesting that that create conversations. Cause I come back to one of the, uh, the, the key tenets of NLP, which I studied many years ago. And, and we talked there about the meaning of your communication is the response you get. And I think there's a big part there about when you talk about going conversations, because a lot of time people, you know, we've tried to communicate, but it's not been a conversation. It's been a one way barrage of information. Whereas actually, if you can have a dialogue between people, actually, we know that opens the way for a lot more genuine, authentic belief and also trust at the end of the day. For sure. Right. Because I know what I said, but I don't know what you heard. So only through those types of, you know, whether it's uh, small groups or roundtables or one on ones whatever it is, being able to create that space where we can have dialogue and discussion. Now I have not only a lot more confidence in what's understood, but that's also giving me a feedback loop. So if I'm a leader, one of the things that I have to have from my organization, from my customers, from my environment hmm. is I need a feedback loop. So communication is an offer and an acceptance. But in addition to that, I get new ideas. I'm able to calibrate my messaging, my pacing, my strategies, based on a, a feedback loop from yeah. my environment. So yeah. I, as the leader, like, while it's important for my team to be able to have that type of interaction, I need it as a decision maker as well. So as I'm, as I'm adjusting my vision and my priorities and all of those things that go into the responsibilities mm. of the organizational leader, I can't do that effectively if I'm not getting feedback from my environment as well. Yeah. Really good point, isn't it? And I think it's that thing about the feedback from the environment. And I think one of the things that we've all seen, you know, it, it, it's just over two years since we in the UK went to, to, into to lockdown because of the COVID pandemic. Um, so obviously at that time, we all were forced to jump onto Zoom or onto Teams or onto Google Meets. And actually that was one of the things that, you know, it drove us all to do the same. And I found a lot of my coaching actually became Zoom, Zoom related. We were all doing it and nobody batted an eyelid to do it because actually we had to do it. But the problem was we were all just seeing the video image of each other. And I think one of those things that's come out now, we're all coming back into this, into this real world of you know, having proper conversation. And hopefully that feedback is a lot more uh, straightforward and people can actually really understand it. Because I think it's very hard to get that feedback fully from a room of participants when you're on a Zoom call. I don't know what you found over that period. Well, we've, we've certainly had to improve our approaches or strategies and how we engage and how we connect the types of questions we ask, the breakout rooms that we can use and things like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, as you're talking, I was just thinking about maybe a, a, an analogy of some of what leaders might experience. Are, are you a car guy, Phil? Do you like to, cars? To a degree, yes. <laughs> so what I was thinking about is, you know, if you go back in time, the let's, let's look at the race cars. Okay. You go back to the 50s and 60s and 70s. Race cars were a pretty basic machine. You had, you know, mechanical steering and you had questionable suspension and it was, it was a very basic machine. But one of the things that the drivers were always looking for was the type of feedback they got. And it was immediate. I could always tell what's happening with the road and and with the corner, right? Because that's so much feedback. But now let's say you're driving in a luxury car. You've got this beautiful Mercedes or, you know, pick your favorite luxury car. Mm. And what people say is, I didn't even notice how fast I was going. Very true. Very true. And it's because the only feedback I now have, because I'm so insulated from my environment, 
is my speedometer. Yeah. It's the only thing that's telling me how fast I'm going. I can't even sense it from the sound or the road or the noise or anything like that. So there's a consequence of that. If I'm too insulated from my environment is I don't really know what's happening out there. And so in a way, as a leader, I have to get back to the basics, back to manual steering and back to manual brakes so that I can be looking for what's the type of feedback that I can use to make sure that I'm not outrunning my corners and, and, you know, overdriving the, the organization. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a lovely analogy, actually. And I think we can all relate to that. And, and especially, you know, you and I, Dean, we're of similar age. So we can all relate to driving manual cars where, where everything was was manual on the car as well. Well, I can at least. You know, I think about you know, my, my teenage years doing those things to cars and trying to trying to get them to go faster because I could work on it. I could get under the bonnet and actually experience that. And I think that's something to come back to. But that thing about the, 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 the speed and the insulation from it, because you're right, we can put our foot down now and we don't know the speed we're going. I was out with a friend the other day who just bought himself a new Tesla and, and it's an amazing experience, but it's not the driving experience we're used to. It's a, it's a beautiful car, but it's so insulated in terms of the noise. There's no traditional speed on it either. It's on the center console. So actually you've got the data there if you need it, but you have to know how to find it. And I think that's one thing as well, was before in a traditional car, you'd have the speedo in front of you. You could see the rev count, you could see the fuel gauge, you could see the temperature. Whereas now on a modern car, a lot of them, the data is on an iPad type device. We have to know how to go and find that detail because it's not even there in the first instance. And I wonder well, what that's, that's there's, there's that same risk, right? So there's this risk of, of dehumanization of our organizations because we, th- we think that maybe the dashboard that we're running the business from is reality. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because actually that dashboard, we know we've all been in companies where they have a dashboard which says, hey, this is what we're doing. But also we know most dashboards, dashboards even, are rear view mirrors. So it's not actually giving a prediction of what's coming. And I think that's something that, that maybe something we need to think about. Maybe we can talk a bit about that because I think um, having that foresight of where we're going could be useful for business, business executives. Or you know, if I think about some of the businesses I work with, which are small upcoming scale-up businesses, they need to understand what the journey holds as opposed to what the journey's held. So let's, let's take this concept one step further and then we can move on. But you think about the rally races where you've mm-hmm. got a driver and a navigator and that navigator is continually informing the driver what, yeah. what's coming up around the corner, right? Yeah. They know the course. They're, they're really their coach. They're their leadership mm-hmm. coach mm-hmm. saying, okay, in, in 100 meters, we're going to be taking a hard right. And because the driver is so focused on making sure they stay on the course and that everything is operating at its optimal, they don't have the opportunity to look as far ahead as they need to. So maybe if we think of ourselves not as a F1 driver, but as a rally driver that has a coach that's helping us to make sure that we're staying out in front of the organization, we might be able to, to shift in the ways that we think about our role as leaders. Yeah, you know, I love I love that as an analogy, isn't it? And and the other thing I'd say as well, they've always been around the course before, and they know when those corners are coming up. And, and I think this is interesting, you know, when I introduced you just now, I said, you know, you're you, you guide leaders and, and and you coach and train them. And I think this is different hats that we can wear, because the coaching hat is about asking questions. The training actually is, if I talk about training and coaching and mentoring and facilitation in the spectrum, in some ways. Some people want a bit of advice on what's coming up. Where have you seen this before? Whereas as a pure coach, all I'm doing is asking questions or helping you to find the answers. 
but sometimes you don't know what's around that corner because you've never been there before. And actually, we can bring that to the to bear because actually something around, you know, well, how do I navigate this? What do I need to do in my business? What should my dashboard look like? We can potentially bring that to bear to help business owners, business leaders really step up and understand how to navigate their own business into the future. And that's a, a great point that there is uh, always a bit of a transition between coaching and consulting. And, and it's maybe not as hard of a line as we would like it to be. Yeah, yeah. There are those moments where you recognize, okay, maybe there's a skill need here and we need to take a few minutes and just focus on developing the skill mm. so that then they can maybe um, feel more confident yeah. or be able to answer the question that you're exploring in a slightly different way. Yeah. And so it can be very challenging, at least for me, you know, to stay in a pure mode of one versus the other. Because mm-hmm. sometimes when you're consulting, the best tool that you have is questions and you bring in your, your coaching toolbox. Yeah. Great point. Because people believe more of what they're concluding themselves. Yeah. And that's our goal, whether it's in coaching or consulting is we want to grow the, the capacity and the performance of the individual in the organization, yeah. just different methodologies in, in getting there. Yeah, I think that's right. Now, now, one thing we've talked about before we came on air today was talking about this, this great resignation, which is where we've all stood, started to learn of in the last six months. Um, and we've seen lots around this around, you know, the fact that people are people are stepping out and doing the things that they've always wanted to do. They're leaving their roles. Um, and you and I are talking about one of the biggest issues is those people who are deciding to move into retirement. The boomers are leaving the organization and therefore there's the pull through of these younger people who have come into the organization more recently. Um, and I wonder how that works in terms of this helping people develop and developing skills of people because they need the capabilities that the uh, the, the, the old timers, so to speak, had that maturity and understanding of what's going on in the organization. So I wonder if we can just step into that for a minute in terms of this uh, driver and co-driver type of approach. I wonder what we can come up bring from that. Well, we were just talking about coaching right now, and I, I believe there's a, a key application when it comes to this development inside the organizations is having this coaching uh, culture. If we look at you know, let's say over the last 40 years, we've been flattening the organizations and maybe some of our leadership models haven't kept up pace with that or some of our beliefs mm-hmm. as executives haven't kept pace with the reality of the flattening of the organization. Because if we flatten an organization inherently, if it's going to work, we have to push more decision-making out closer to where the action is happening. Well, if I'm going to make good decisions at the front line, I need to have the information and the capability to be able to do that well. Yeah. So the yeah. best way for that to, to grow in my organization is what I see is a coaching culture. We probably can't hire enough outside coaches for a one-to-one or a one-to-four ratio inside our organization. But can we begin developing the, the instinct and the capability within our organization that I could go out and I could find somebody that maybe is one or two steps beyond me in my journey that could be great coaches for what I need at this moment. Yeah. So maybe the, the chief marketing officer isn't the best coach for somebody that you know just took on a, a new marketing position or a new sales position. Maybe there's somebody else that could operate in that, in that mm-hmm. role for me, even if it's for a short, short period of time. What we have to do to make that uh, possible though is begin building the abilities and the capacity of people throughout the organization to know what's the difference between coaching in a conversation yeah. and giving people answers or advice. Yeah. 
love that love that and i think there's something there isn't it helping the individuals become coaching and, and helping the managers of those individuals step into a coaching role because you know you and i use coaching as a skill set because that's what we've trained to do but actually we know that the best managers are those who can coach people into it it, it reminds me i've just been um, i've just rediscovered the one minute manager by ken blanchard um, and, and I said to someone recently, it was the, one of the first management books I've read. I was actually on a, I was on a uh, post-university trip to the US uh, and I was in, uh, we stayed in a friend's father's house. And I remember going to the bookshelf and pulling off this one minute management book and just having a read through and it. I read through it very quickly, but I still remember that there. And that led me on to another book by Ken, or another theory from Ken Blanchard around situational leadership. And the key bit for me there was about confidence and capability of the, of the individual. And actually, as a manager, we need to step into that ability to understand what's going on for the person we're working with and how do we either coach them or tell them how to do a job, depending on their capability at the time. So it's interesting you mentioned that because I believe firmly coaching is the best way to really develop your team to build that confidence and capability. And bringing that that person into it, making sure that they have some control over the throttle. That's why one of the questions that I love is, how can I be most helpful for you? Lovely. And that that keeps the power. So there's always, you know, in every interaction, there's always some sort of power dynamic. Mm. And if I want to grow their trust and their engagement and their buy-in and the appropriateness of the time that we're spending together, I need to make sure that they're owning, like the person who's developing is owning it and being able to have the say of in what way can I can this other person be helpful for me? Yeah. Otherwise, it's so tempting to just ask for advice. Yeah, I love that. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because we know if you're just asking advice, you're never going to be able to develop yourself. You're always going to be asking for that same piece of advice all the way through. So I wonder, you know, when we talk about this great resignation, the, the phrase that goes alongside that, I think we've all seen quite a bit, is how do we re-energize and re-engage people? So I wonder what else would you say from your from your work with leaders that you've seen in terms of this communications training? Um, how best can you help them navigate and how do you help them re-energize their teams, re-engage their teams around the work they're doing so that we can help the best people stay while other people choose to move on? So this might be an unconventional answer, or maybe it's a very conventional answer. I don't know. But something that I continually come back to is the power of problems. Wow. And so easy it is for people to define themselves by their company they work for, by the role that or the title that they have. You know, people say, what do you do? And they answer with their title. But the challenge that I see if we're overly focused on even, you know, let's even see our, say our, our vision or our mission or things like that, is there's too much potential for us to be stuck in the esoteric, right? Kind of this, you know, this Yes, we need purpose, obviously, but we can amplify that be, by making it more concrete. And so mm -hmm. I say get small. The smaller we get, the more real things become. And the best way for us, I believe, to energize and to focus and to connect ourselves and our team is by getting first really clear about what's the problem we're solving. What is the problem at hand here? Yeah. Because without a problem... I. So for me, everything revolves around the problem. And that our greatest blessing is that there is problems that need solved. Every organization exists for the sake of solving problems. If there wasn't a problem, they wouldn't be there. 
Yeah. Every role inside an organization exists either implicitly or explicitly to solve a problem. But what I've seen is it's so easy for us to get unhitched from the problem and we become focused and I, and I begin identifying with our, our position or our role or whatever mm. that is. So as leaders, making sure that we're very clear on what's the problem that we're solving, either with this meeting, mm. with this project, in each role, if I'm going to go out and hire somebody, I want to be very clear on what's the problem this role exists to solve. So I believe that's a great opportunity for us around re-energizing people yeah. is connecting them back with clarity to the problem. Because once I have a clear problem, now I know where to focus my energy and what actions that I can begin taking to do something about it. Mm. If it stays too abstract, I have energy, but I don't know how to channel it or what to do with it. And then that leads to frustration and burnout. Yeah, love that. And it's interesting, as you're going through that, I was thinking of a phrase I've often used about really being clear about the context of the problem you're working on. Because I think we all get swamped in the content of being stuck in it and, you know, it becomes overwhelming. But sometimes we need to rise above that content to understand the context. And I think when you talked about connecting back to the problem, to me, that's the same thing in terms of what are we here to solve? And, and I think, you know, we, we've all been uh, at the mercy of the, the endless meeting where there's no real agenda or there's no real reason for being there and there's people bored. And especially we saw this on the last two years of the, the number of Zoom meetings where people have switched off and turned their cameras off and you know, feet up on the desk, not thinking about it. But I love what you're saying there is we can re-energize by connecting back to the problem because then we've got a real reason for doing it. And it's, it avoids that abstract piece so there's something there. And, and you mentioned there about um, re-energizing by looking at the role you're in as well. So actually, when we go out to recruit people, we could probably help define all of the roles in the organization. Say, so, okay, what's the real reason for all of us? And how do we all in interconnect because of that? So I love that as a, as a thought. You said it was slightly off-center, but I think that's quite a nice idea of how to make it work. Yeah, get back to the problem and being able to identify, maybe I've got a company of 10 people. Mm -hmm. Can I clarify what problems each of those roles are charged with solving or addressing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether it's 10 or a thousand or 10,000, it doesn't matter, right? The same principle applies. And yeah. maybe I'm crazy, but for me, that that's the ultimate thing is being clear on what's the problem that I'm charged with solving. Yeah. And that in that implies then I also understand the scope of my responsibility and the the impact of my role. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? One of the big pieces of work that we have started doing more of in this last period of time um, revolves around three things. I talk about key function flow maps, understand, understand what you do. And to me, that comes out of work I did when I did my MBA, which is around value chain analysis, to understand what's the specific supporting function and function you're working on. But the bit that comes for me is then understanding the process accountability. Who, who does what and how does it flow through? But then coming down the next layer, and something we talk about in scaling up is we use the word functional accountability chart. And actually, actually you've got to understand you know, what is the functional responsibility of each person, but then defining their roles with clear KPIs, coming back to our speedo analogy in the cars, so we know what we're working towards. And a lot of that might need to be reassessed now, you know, coming back into the office, is one thing because we've been out for two years in a lot of cases. How do we now reassess how we work? And maybe this is a good chance to really, you know, pick up the original rule book of how our functions worked and our hierarchies and just say, okay, what problem are we really trying to solve? Because sometimes we become bloated because we've forgotten about those things. 
Yeah, and, and maybe revisiting, like, how, what is the purpose of an organization? For me, the, an organization is an assembly of people coming together with coordination towards solving a problem. So who are the people we need? What's the coordination of those people? Yeah. That's what the organization is trying to do. And some of the shakeup that we've experienced with COVID, especially if our company is not a digitally native company, and maybe we're more traditional in our structure, we've been around 30 or 40 years. And so all of our intuitive processes that we just did, they weren't, they weren't, we haven't written them down. It's just how work got done here. Mm -hmm. COVID completely exposed what those were. And so now we're having to rediscover that, but then towards what problem? So what's the role of our organization to provide us with the means and the methodology and the tools to be able to coordinate our expertise towards solving a problem? Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's interesting about those digitally native organizations, because, you know, over the last 20 years, we've all had to learn how to become more digitally native. But there are some organizations who thrive on doing things. Um, I'm working with a wonderful architectural firm at the moment in the UK. And the owner of the firm is great with pen and paper, drawing beautiful pictures. And he's able to extract what's in his his client's mind and create a beautiful drawing of what this building could look like in the future. But he doesn't do it on the computer. And so, so clients love paying for that piece of paper, but it still has to be translated into some form of CAD drawing at some stage. And, and, and the point I hear you saying there is, um, how do we, how do we, look at how does that role become more easy to manage remotely because actually you've got a creative process there which you maybe isn't able able to do it remotely and electronically maybe you need to have that in-office experience to see what's going on there and you know as an architect i'm not an architect but i know the ones i work with they thrive off just having that space to think and come up with ideas and maybe you can't do that in a digital world in the same way i'm sure there are some people who do it really well but a lot of them like that pen and paper touch. Yeah, there's something about that that physical world yeah. that um, maybe there's, for their business, something there that there's things happening that maybe can't get replicated the same way in a digital yeah. world. And for us as leaders, it's being able to identify what is actually happening here. And that it can be overly simplifying to say, well, let's just do that digitally. Yeah. Well, there's a cost, just like when we went from analog music to digital music, they said it would be perfect, but actually we lost something in that mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a quality to the music that was lost in that algorithm. Yeah. And something happens uh, even in an organization when we go through that digitization process. Yeah. So we have to be able to quantify and, and qualify what are some of those things that are actually occurring besides the production of a, a paper, you know, illustration. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we, you and I were joking before, the, the old water cooler conversations. And, and one bit we, we, I'd love to just touch on is this, you know, we, the hybrid working. Because two years ago, we were thrust onto Zoom. We had to do it. Now, actually, people got a choice. They can work from home or be in the, off, or, or in the office. But some of those organizations, and I think most organizations would thrive by having more face-to-face communication. We started this conversation talking about, you know, how you help people navigate through some of the issues they face. But I wonder, what are you seeing and what advice would you give people around building a hybrid organization as we slowly come back into the workplace properly? If ever we finish that, we don't know yet, but actually that's the way it's going at the moment. So a couple of things that I think about. One is, um, as a leader, I 
I shouldn't do what everybody else in my industry is doing just for the sake of doing what's getting done. Right. I, I go back to what's the problem we're trying to solve. And we're going to be able to explore or look at what are the things that can only get done in person. Yeah. I think we're, we're realizing some of that, whether it's conferences or as a business, what are the things that are necessary to occur in person? Maybe we're more efficient if we gather people on this project up for two days and they're able to build relationships and have meals together and do some deep thinking and exploring and set the stage for the project and then go virtual for a few weeks or a few months. Hmm. But there's some things that only can be done in person. And there's some things that are best done remotely. And maybe being able to be a contrarian in my industry. So if everybody in my industry has set their business up completely remote, completely yeah, digital. Yeah. There's probably an opportunity for me to say, how can we bring an in-person aspect to this to set us apart in what we're doing? The yeah. flip side is if I say, well, everybody in my industry is always in person. They always work together in the same room. That's how we do it. Well, maybe there's an opportunity where I can access um, different talent or create more efficiency if I incorporate some element of digital into yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. So I think yeah. there's opportunity if we really stay close to what's our objective, what's the problems we're trying to solve, what are the needs of my team to mm. be able to be successful, and what's the organization that I'm really wanting to create yeah. and, yeah. and resist the temptation of the, the theme of the day that might yeah say this is what i have to be doing yeah i love that i think that's a that's a really nice thing actually and probably you know as we come towards the end of this podcast to me that's the key bit you came back to that thing there about you know really re-energize and focus back on what the problem is we're trying to solve in the first place and then look at the most appropriate structure for your organization rather than jumping on the bandwagon of what everyone else is doing look at what really works for you because just because everyone else is turning left doesn't mean you can't turn right with the way i was thinking about that and we've all jump back into being in a, a fully immersive world in some ways, but actually maybe there's other ways of doing it. So I love that as, a, as an approach. So Dean Hefter, it's been a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed the, 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 uh, the twists and turns we've taken. We've spent 30 minutes here talking about lots of different things. If there was one thing that you could say that you would have a, a wish for for the future of this hybrid working and what you've seen from your clients, what do you think that is in terms of what's the, what's the one thing we really need to get right going forward as we move through 2022, 2022 to make businesses really get their communication stronger? Well, I, I, think, the, um, I think the people that win, or mm. maybe that's overly simplifying it, I think the lesson that we're going to see is just because it's easy doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, And it's easy for us to set up a Slack channel. It's easy for us to instant message. It's easy for us to send out an email. But if I'm a leader or involved in any team, just because it's easiest for me from a medium choice, yeah, doesn't mean it's the best choice. Yeah. And so the leaders that are able to say, in what way can we serve the team at the best level around this need for connection or this need for communication? Starting with that and saying, it might be that we have to make the investment mm -hmm. to come together for two days. Yeah. It might be that I need to have a series of phone calls with 30 people. Starting with what's going to serve 
the organization and the individual best and then backing up into choosing my channel. Yeah. I think that's a key lesson that as technology evolves, we're going yeah. to have to be able to be judicious about. Yeah. And it comes back to that point we really start on, doesn't it, in terms of where we're going in terms of that, um, the communication, the response you get actually use the channel that's the most appropriate for you because I think that's the key thing that will set one business apart from the other rather than just jumping on the bandwagon of having to do it but looking at okay what's right for my employees what's right for my customers what's right right for my wider stakeholders in how I communicate and come up with a way that really works for us and probably for a lot of those it's face-to-face communication in most cases maybe that's just me and my age but I believe that's the way I will so Dean Hefter thank you it's been lovely to talk to you again I really appreciate your time and, uh, and I look forward to hopefully reconvening this conversation within the next 12 months again. So thank you. It's been a pleasure as I always felt. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed recording it. This is just one of the great conversations I've had the privilege of being part of since I started recording the Sparks Bacon podcast. So please go back and listen to some of the others. There's some great content in there, some great contributors. And also, While you're at it, please leave a review of this show with your comments because that helps other people like you find this content. And we want to bring about the change that we really know matters to people. It helps us grow. And also think about what actions you want to take because there's no point just listening passively. We want you to pick it up and do something with it. So what are the three key things you want to do? I can't hold you accountable, but if you want to, drop me a note, phil at igniumconsult.com. We're always keen to listen to what you have to say and actually introduce guests to us that you think will bring relevance to other people. We wish you well. Give us a call. Let us know what you think. Give us a review. Thank you.